Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be ha- uh, hosting or interviewing or talking with cybersecurity guru Adam Levin, who is the founder of the What the Hack podcast. Um, Adam has a, a lot of experience in the cybersecurity space. We're going to talk to him about his background, um, you know, the reasons that he launched his podcast, some interesting stories, and then we're going to talk about the th- current threat landscape. But before we get to all that, let's say hi to Adam. Adam, how are you today? Hey, Mark. How are you? Thanks for inviting me. I uh, Well, thank you for taking time out and uh, coming on Secure Talk. Where are you located? I am currently grilling in Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, my gosh. You are a glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's a little toasty here. The other day it was 113. One day it was 117. Um, so it's uh, it's it is the Wild West. I stopped by Phoenix one time. We were on a motorhome trip, and uh, friends said, "Hey, you got to come by Phoenix because we were on our way from Joshua Tree to Prescott, which is all relatively high altitude." Sure. And um, they said, "Come by, we'll have a pool party." And this was in August. <laughs> and it was not a pool party. It was a warm bath party. It was so bad. There's no question at night you, you jump in the pool, you say, I'm going to be refreshed. And you end up being in a hot tub that wasn't supposed to be a hot tub. Yeah, that's exactly my experience. And I'm not going to get any th- sympathy from you because I'm I'm actually from Seattle, which is nice and cool. But I'm down in uh, Salt Lake City right now. And it's like in the high 90s. And um, and I was going to complain about that, but I think I'll just keep my complaints to myself because you are, you know, you're living on the edge right there. <laughs> so Grilling, uh, grilling on the edge. Yep, grilling on sure. the edge. Yeah, definitely. Hey, um, you know, before we talk about your podcast, maybe you could just give us, um, you know, a little idea about your background in cybersecurity and some of the work that you've done. Oh, sure. Well, I trained uh, as an attorney. I did it because I wanted to be in politics. I wanted to be a legislator. And uh, I was concerned. So wait a minute. There. You 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 live in Phoenix in the summertime and you want to be a politician. This is telling me something about your uh, threshold for punishment. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. And those those were the days, I mean, we're talking late 60s where it it was really an interesting time to be involved in in politics and all things political. And uh, I uh, ran for Congress in 1974, uh, was not successful, but became Consumer Affairs Director for the state of New Jersey, where I served for five years and ran again in 1982 for Congress, close but no cigar. Uh, So I did that. I I was very involved, you know, for years in the whole consumer education, consumer protection area. 1993, I started one of the first online credit education information product and services site called credit.com. As a matter of fact, we were so new and early to the game because it was such a new and early game that we managed to swap an $1,800 hard drive for the domain credit.com. In 2003, I started a company called Identity Theft 911 because we started to see more serious indications that identity theft was being a problem. And no one was doing it the way that uh, my partners and I thought it should be done which is where resolution services uh, would be the core, uh, as opposed to it simply being viewed as an additional revenue stream for people who wanted to sell monitoring programs. Uh, Over the years, it morphed from uh, Identity Theft 911 to IDT 911, and then reporters said, well, are you an alarm company uh, or... Uh, are you a phone company? We said, well, nah, it's time to get a new name. We went global. And so we became Cyber Scout. And uh, I sold Cyber Scout in, uh, a year ago to uh, uh, Santik, uh, who was eventually bought uh, later in the year by TransUnion. So uh, so I've, I'm kind of steeped in the credit and and identity theft world. And of course, as identity theft morphed to cyber, our company morphed to cyber, and we were involved in in forensics, uh, in incident response, incident preparedness. Uh, so I kind of covered the field on all of that, uh, and then wrote a book called Swiped back in 2015, How to Protect Yourself in a World Full of Scammers, Fishers, and Identity Thieves, where we talked about not only identity theft issues but cyber issues, and and then started this podcast. Uh, 
uh, in 2021, uh, and it's grown uh, significantly. It's very exciting. No, it's impressive because you I think you already have over 50 episodes and you just started a little over a year ago. So that's that's very impressive. Hey, before we jump into the podcast, though, I mean, you mentioned a couple of things. One is um, it's interesting because a lot of your experience is on like the consumer side, right, versus going into an enterprise and selling them some kind of, you know, detection prevention uh, platform or tool. You mentioned remediation services versus monitoring. And um, I think especially on the enterprise size, monitoring is is huge. Yep. Um, and when it comes with individuals, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming with like, you know, credit agencies, they will monitor and see if there's, you know, some type of uh, kind of strange activity. But maybe you could just explain a little bit about what is that? What are the type of resolution services and, and how does that work? Oh, sure. And uh, uh, actually, over the years, we became a company involved with um, education, remediation, identity management. Uh, monitoring, breach preparedness, breach response, and forensics. So we we ended up in all the fields. <clears throat> Initially, uh, the whole identity theft area. We have to we have to go back to the psychology of the identity theft area. Uh, when we started back in 2003, the business was viewed as the victim. Generally, it was a bank, and consumers were viewed as maybe collateral damage, but maybe it was their fault. So as a consumer, you were guilty to prove an innocent when it came to things identity theft related. And that's why remediation became such an important part of the process because, you know, people were involved in certain ways in doing monitoring programs and selling you all sorts of other things. But when it came to the remediation part, it was like, well, here's some tip sheets. Good night. Good luck. And Month, months later, still uh, still no remediation. That's correct. <laughs> hours, hours later, your life has passed you by. You're totally economically upheaved. And uh, it has uh, tremendous psychological downsides to it. Uh, my friend Eva Velasquez over at the Identity Theft Resource Center, they do an aftermath study every year uh, where they interview victims of identity theft and people uh, from their stories, you get an idea of really what pain and agony people have gone through. And we're not talking about just, oh, golly, someone stole my credit card or someone got my ATM information and crawled in my bank account, but I, I got them. No, we're talking about people who are victims of uh, new account uh, identity theft, where people gaily went about the countryside, opening accounts and uh, charging up all kinds of horrendous numbers. And then disappearing, so the victim was uh, stuck with that, to medical identity theft, which is where someone steals your information for the purpose of getting medical treatment uh, or whatever in your name, which could be very serious, especially if they get into the same medical facility that you've been involved with. If uh, their information could get commingled with your information, uh, we're talking about victims of, of, of child identity theft, we're talking about where identity theft occurred, for example, during COVID, uh, where billions of dollars of unemployment benefits were stolen and people who desperately needed it had to wait additional time in order to get it, and they were destroyed economically. Uh, we're talking about um, criminal identity theft, where I don't know if you ever saw the movie Identity Thief, mm -hmm. uh, but in that case, I mean, and it's true. Your information is used, crimes are committed, and the trail of breadcrumbs leads back to you. Uh, we worked on a case a few years back. A teacher was driving his family uh, through uh, the Midwest, uh, gets pulled over for a busted taillight, realizes that his car is surrounded by guys with guns, thrown on the ground, handcuffed in front of his kids, hauled off to jail and needed help in order to convince the judge that, that he was not the person who had committed the crime. So they, they're very serious ramifications of, of identity theft and cyber incidents. And uh, uh, so, you know, that's important. Remediation is, is critically important. And uh, Identity Theft 911, which became Cyber Scout, was one of the uh, preeminent and first movers in the space of identity theft remediation. 
Thanks for that overview. That's that's very helpful and informative. Um, and I just want to go just a little bit farther on this topic. Sure. So what are some of the key steps in remediation? Obviously, you know, probably working with a platform such as, uh, you know, CyberScout and the the other, the, the previous names for that service. But what, what are some of the key things that um, that your remediation partner can do for you? Well, they, they can pretty much do everything for you. You know, you can do it yourself, which is like, you know, are you going to go out on a battlefield having never been trained and then try to be an effective defender? <clears throat> the answer is probably not. Um, with, with the whole remediation process, if you do it yourself, you have to contact the credit reporting agencies. You have to keep files. Uh, you have to contact your creditors. You have to contact, depending upon how... Per, pervasive the problem is, uh, government agencies, uh, you may even want to, you know, have yourself flagged by the IRS, which to me is fairly terrifying on a variety of levels. <laughs> um, you know, it's, 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 it's trying to, to get the FBI or, or, uh, folks in law enforcement to get interested in your case. You know, the, the, the FBI, for instance, has been very effective in these areas are getting far more effective, but, they need big cases. I mean, they have yeah. a certain amount of resources they can dedicate, just like the Secret Service. Uh, local law enforcement, and, and I know this because I worked for the FBI helping to train uh, police officers and, and, uh, and heads of police departments, is that, and they admit it. They said, look, we're under-resourced, underfunded, and under-trained. And you know, I remember when we first started Identity Theft 911, the first conference we went to was the IAFCI conference, which is the International uh, Association of Financial Crimes Investigators. And uh, we sat down with the FBI and the Secret Service, and 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 they said, "Look, you know, these are things that we don't. We can't go into someone's home and sit there with them, and and help them through an identity incident. We we have neither the time nor the resources. Not that we don't want to." But we can't. Just like mm -hmm. I spoke to a sheriff from North Carolina who said there was an elderly person in his in his, the area of his jurisdiction that he went into their home. He felt so badly. He spent the entire day on the phone trying to help them gather together information, talking to creditors, talking to the credit reporting agencies. And he said, I, I, I didn't have the time. I did it. I didn't have the time for it. And it's not like we can't we can't do this for everybody. So you're dealing with uh, under-resourced, under-trained, underfunded organizations uh, trying to deal with things that are really beyond their area of expertise, and they should be doing what they do. So that's why having a third-party organization that, that has a good reputation that's been involved in this area, and there are a number of very good ones, uh, working for you, and you can get to them, for instance, uh, through um, your insurance company. Uh, mm -hmm. through uh, financial, certain financial institutions, uh, credit unions more than banks, credit unions are more member-centric, and through, believe it or not, employee benefits programs now, a significant percentage of employers are offering identity protection services and remediation services and the like as part of their either employer-paid or voluntary benefits program. Uh, because, yeah. you know, they figured out a couple things. Number one, if you're an employee and you're a victim of identity theft and you're struggling with it, you're not going to be very productive. That's not good for you. It's not good for them. Number two, if your credentials are breached, your user ID and password, and if you happen to use, as over half the people in, in America do, the same user ID or credentials uh, for websites uh, they, your employer could be vulnerable as a result of your vulnerability. So it is in their interest as well as your interest to do it. Yeah. So you, you just answered my next question, which is who, who, who pays for this? And that is a really kind of nice trend that, you know, that you have these options like insurance, um, the credit unions, employee benefits. I, you know, that kind of gives me, um, makes me feel a little more optimistic because it used to be, like you said, you know, you're just out there trying to battle all this and go and navigate through this all on your own while you're still working full time and taking care of your kids and, you know, and doing all that. And I mean, there's just the, that low level or high level stress that would just go on for months. So, so good for you for, uh, for helping to kind of, you know, solve that problem or create a solution for it. Let me, let me ask you, let's, um, let's talk now about, um, you know, what the heck, um, yeah. 
what what were what was the rationale to uh, create a podcast? Well, first of all, uh, you know, I've done a lot of media over the years uh, as my co-host, Bo Friedlander, used to be the uh, editor-in-chief of Air America. And, um, you know, so A, we we happen to love the environment. Podcasting is a little bit of a new twist for us, although we're both podcast freaks. We like them. And secondly, it's really how do you continue the mission of educating people and and providing a platform which is accessible and takes an issue where for a lot of people, it's sort of mysterious. You know, when I mm-hmm. started in the credit world, uh, when you talked about credit, it was like this strange black cloud that was following you. That's why when we had credit.com, we came up with the concept of, of credit is your friend. When I came up with that, people said, what are you, out of your mind? Credit's not your friend. I said, well, yes, it is. If you treat credit like you would treat a friend, if you're there for it, it will be there for you. But that means you have to build it, nurture it, manage it, and protect, protect it. it. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and and so the, the concept of, of, the, of the podcast is really we created what we call a shame-free zone. Uh, because the only way that we will get through this is we have to all be in this together because we're up against a very formidable enemy, folks that are uh, creative, sophisticated, and persistent, and folks that are counting on the fact that we all have day jobs, right? right. I mean, we have, we have jobs, we raise families, we're involved in philanthropic activities, we're getting educated. Uh, that's our day job. But to a hacker, a scammer, an identity thief, we are their day job. And there's right. a big pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So how do you create a situation where you say to people, look, you're not the only person in the world this happened to. Mm-hmm. So do not, under any circumstances, feel embarrassed about this because these guys are good and they're waiting for a moment of distraction and we are all distracted. So let's talk about it. Let's try to put sort of a little bit of a lighthearted tone on it, because I found, for instance, when I was head of consumer affairs and I made 1500 speeches over those five years, that if you're just going to drone on about these are the facts and these are the problems and these are the protections, you're going to lose everybody. But if you intersperse some humor with it, people will pay more attention because they're listening for the next line. And lo and behold, as you deliver the next line, they're learning something. And so, you know, we're all in this together. We would like to believe that business and government is providing the protections that we need so we can rest a little easy, but they're not. They're trying, but they're not. And also we bear our responsibility as consumers uh, because the ultimate guardian of the consumer is the consumer because nobody knows what we do better than we know what we're doing. And therefore, The point of the show is how do we arm consumers with information uh, as well as ways to understand the threat landscape, what the red flags are, and what best practices are? Awesome. Um, You know, I like the the idea of a no-shame zone where people can share stories. You know, when I grew up, uh, when I was growing up, I would listen to my grandparents or other family members and talk about, you know, different accidents or different, you know, um, bad things that had happened to people. And the whole idea was to learn from that, you know, Hey, never, never put your hand into that equipment when you're wearing a glove because the equipment could grab onto your glove. Right. That's right. Never, you know, never, never, you know, go underneath the car unless you have it up on blocks. I mean, simple stuff like that. But when you're a little kid, you learn from that and you hear from it. And if nobody's telling these stories and something bad happens to you, um, if you get hacked, I mean, you're like, Oh God, but you need to share that information. Um, you know, and, and when it comes now, it went to the the cyber threat landscape. You see all kinds of you know social engineering things, and you know I, I'm sure you've seen the ones where they get an email from the boss saying, "Hey, I need you to go out and buy these gift cards. Um, it's urgent." Or, "Hey, I need you to do this transaction. It's urgent." And they're like you said, these cyber actors are doing this 24/7. They have their technique down and everything, and you you're just like trying to you know get on with your life, and you get this message from your boss. You think. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna go do this. And um, and but if you hear the story a few times, like you say, you're like, hi, wait a minute, I've heard about this. So that is excellent. Um, yeah, yeah. The whole, you know, the whole point there is, you know, oftentimes people go, well, these are just common sense things, and the answer is yes, it is. <laughs> and it's the whole point of take a minute, 
And then you know what? If your boss sends you a note saying, you have to do this right away. The first thing you do is either get out of your chair, at least in the old days when humans worked in the same building. Right. And get in the elevator, get on the escalator or walk around the corner and say, hey, boss, I, I don't want to be a pain in the butt. But did you just send me a note asking me to wire $50,000 to so-and-so? Uh, because all too often your boss may look at you and go, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so um, oftentimes it's the simple thing of never trust, uh, always question, always verify. Just slow down, man. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. So, so let me, I mean, cause you've had over 50 different episodes. Um, give me some idea of some of your more interesting, uh, guests or episodes or, or topics. Oh, we've had uh, everyone from a fellow, our first episode, which is really, was one of our fun ones when, um, he was trolling QAnon sites and, uh, <laughs> uh, he went from sort of trolling to being annoying and some of the QAnon folks were not too happy with him. And they basically sent him a picture of a scary clown and then sent him a picture of himself and said, we're watching. Um, uh, so to uh, people who were victims of catfishing, people who were simply going online to play a Mahjong game with friends. And at, as that was going on, uh, someone was trying to get in their computer. They were uh, about to become a victim of a technology scam or a bank scam uh, to um, um, people whose uh, Instagram accounts just suddenly disappeared. Mm -hmm. We had one interesting episode. It was a, it was a combination. It wasn't catfishing per se, but it could well, it, it was a, it was a dating site issue. And it could have been that one of the people that she was dating who happened to have a cyber company uh, suddenly figured out that she was communicating with other people while she was communicating with him. And he may have been one of the quote other people that she was communicating with as a test along with traditional catfishing scams where uh, we had a woman on who was really funny and we had to do a lot of ble uh, beeping. <laughs> she was, uh, spoke like a sailor. We love her to death. And she was talking about the fact that she was approached by somebody who appeared to be uh, a well-credentialed semi-famous doctor who, as part of his retirement, was now opening a clinic in the Middle East. He had a LinkedIn profile. He, he sure looked right. Um, and then all of a sudden, he started asking her for money. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a, a, C a CIO on who... Um, was his company was a victim of a ransomware attack, but yet he and his team had put a lot of protections in place and they were able to fight it, fight it back. Um, we had a, a comedian on really funny guy who uh, his friends called him while he was driving and said, uh, weird stuff is going on with your, uh, with your, your Twitter and your Instagram account. I said, what are you talking about? It's well, weird songs and lyrics and, all of a sudden the phone rings and he's driving and he picks up the phone and he hears, hi, I'm your hacker. Oh, wow. He goes, what? <laughs> and then, and he said, it's, it's oh, nice that it's nice that the hacker introduced himself, you know? <laughs> yeah. So he said, so I'm, I'm talking to a hacker. hacker. <laughs> yeah. He said, I'm talking to a hacker. And he, and he, I said to him, how old are you? And he said, well, I'm not 12 and I'm not 14. So he said, you're not 13, really? And then the guy said, uh, okay, let's get down to business. Now, uh, if you want your accounts back, you have to pay me. So he said, well, how much do I owe you fearing some horrendous number? And he hears the voice go, uh, well, let's see, based on everything I see about you and all the information, a uh, hundred dollars. He said, <laughs> I'm only worth a hundred dollars. And then the, the, the young fellow says, you know, I'm, I'm looking through your accounts and I see that you have Falafel Phil, you know, a Disney character on your, on your, on your page. What's that all about? I mean, what do you have to do with Falafel Phil? And, and our, our friend Dan said, I am Falafel Phil. And he went, oh no. Oh my gosh, you're Falafel Phil? Listen, I had a bad childhood and during my childhood, the only thing that kept me going was Falafel Phil. I love you, man. So Dan said, well, does that mean I get my account back without paying? And the kid said, no. 
But, oh, man. but I'm willing to become head of security for you. I'll protect you. <laughs> so kids these uh, days, that guy's got uh, some uh, a very entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, kind of misguided, but uh, <laughs> give him credit for yeah the initiative. Had, <laughs> yeah, we've had artists on. We've had uh, somebody who's a famous uh, sunglass designer who his Instagram account went down and and. The overwhelming majority of his business was done through Instagram and he was put through hell. And it's like he he uh, it took forever to get it back. And I'm not even sure he got it back. So um, these were just comp- somebody compromised their credentials. They just got in and then changed the password so he couldn't react, you know. Right. OK. And then, you know, you go through this whole process and 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 frankly, you have a better shot of getting through the United States government than you do of getting through to Facebook or anything, they, they just don't care. I mean, no. unless you say, you know, I have about 50,000. I really wanted to spend advertising with you. All of a sudden it's, wait, 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 let's see if we can help you here. That's um, funny. Hey, it's almost impossible to get to get through. We've also had Jordan Harbinger on the show, who is a, quite a famous guy. Um, we've had uh, uh, um, artists uh, mm-hmm. Again, we're uh, and we, we, uh, we had one. It was a songwriter was approached by somebody for her to write a song for them, and they sent her more money than she had asked for, and then said, "Oh, by the way, uh, the the check was issued by mistake by one of the divisions of my company, and and if you could send me back the overage, and that's because it was a fake check. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it was you know one of those overpayment scams. So." Let me ask you, in terms of the compromised credentials, um, what are your takeaways in terms of how to prevent something like that? Well, sometimes you can't for the simple reason that we're living in a world where uh, breaches have become the third certainty in life behind death and taxes. Mm -hmm. And as a result, all of your information is out there. I mean, if you just think about the Equifax breach, all your information is out there. Uh, and the problem is that, you know, if you go to a site like uh, Have I Been Pawned, that's P-W-N-E-D, yeah. uh, you know about that one, yeah. that um, you will be surprised and chagrined to find that oftentimes many websites that your user ID and password are on, and in some cases that they, they have not been protected, they're sitting in plain text, uh, have been exposed and breached and compromised. and you suddenly realize that you are using the same, if not similar, user ID and password. So therefore, uh, hackers and scammers who get that kind of information uh, simply take your credentials and then use it. And if you go, well, how did you know where I'm working? Uh, did you ever hear of LinkedIn? Right. Uh, and then, of course, based on the story that you told earlier, uh, you work at LinkedIn or you work at a company and that's listed on LinkedIn and they go, and here's everyone else that works at that company. Right. And, and all of a sudden, it's like you can get a list of who works there, what their uh, titles are, what they do. And it helps uh, a scammer uh, be able to communicate with you more effectively as if it's the real deal, because they know who the person is and they masquerade as that person. So so better password hygiene, definitely. Um, how about, you know, some type of multi-factor or two-factor authentication? Oh, absolutely. And, and let me get into, uh, so so when we wrote the book Swiped, we came up with a framework uh, for consumers uh, that, that, that people should be using because, you know, a lot of this, if you just think about it en masse, it is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So what we call it, Bo and I, the three M's. How do you minimize your risk of exposure, reduce your attackable surface in a world where you are being tracked by billions of Internet of Things devices Mm -hmm. uh, to how do you effectively monitor so that, you know, uh, as quickly as possible, you have a problem to how do you manage the damage? So minimize, monitor, manage. So as part of minimizing, number one, good password hygiene. Uh, which means you certainly don't use silly passwords or easily decipherable passwords. The only problem is you could have the most indecipherable password in the world, but once it's discovered, it's out there. Right. So that's why using a password manager that can create complicated passwords and you can have different passwords for every website, as opposed to sharing the same password on your universe of accounts, multi-factor authentication, 
Uh, it's not bulletproof, but it's certainly a lot better than just simply using passwords. Uh, two, being very careful about clicks, uh, clicking links or opening attachments, uh, unless you're absolutely sure who they come from. And even then, it's possible that the person that sent it to you, uh, they received something that was malware ridden and they thought it was pretty cool and they sent it on to you. And it's so you have a frame of reference, but unfortunately, you become a victim mm-hmm. to not simply downloading every cool app you hear about. <laughs> because if you get an app from a third party site other than Apple and Google, and even if you get some apps from Google and even recently a couple from Apple, uh, it could be malware laden or it could be a trick app created by uh, hackers in order to scam information from you at least apple and google do a lot more research before something goes into their stores than than other sites um two here's an one that people don't necessarily think about when you set up questions and answers security questions and answers lie like a superhero (laughs) okay actually you know what i've never thought about that but I, I always have felt weird about giving people my mother's maiden name, my high school mascot, well, you know, whatever it is, my, my first pet's name. Because I'm like, wait a minute, I'm just giving – so I know where you're going with this, but go ahead and keep going. <laughs> yeah, because the important thing is, as you know, most of the facts of our lives are out there on social media – Uh, sometimes it has nothing to do with us. It's a friend that could say something about us and it, it gets, it gets picked up because scammers are trolling. They are following people on social media. So if you went to Ridgefield high, tell them you went to sky high. If your mother's name is Smith, tell them the maiden name is Jones. Uh, because the truth of the matter is it's not as if. Uh, when you give security questions and answers that you're you're uh, being investigated for the purpose of getting a national security clearance, these websites don't care. All they care about is whatever answer you gave them is the answer you give them. Yeah, so you know, it's, it's not, in, it, it, I'm sorry yeah. to cut you off. It's interesting. I actually, in the middle of the night last night, um, I woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep, so I got and did some work. And one of the things I had to do was a a notary. And remember, it used to be with a notary, you'd have to print out whatever you wanted and run out to the local notary office and and pay them to do it and it would take time and whatever now you can do notaries online digitally they you know you fill out some questions they scan your id um and then somebody comes on and looks at the documents verifies your identification and then they notarize it remotely so which is pretty cool service but before i could get to the service point they they had five no actually i think it was nine security questions and they said you need to get at least six of these correct and these were not things that i'd given them but they like would give me four different addresses and says and say which of these addresses have you previously lived at or had some relation to you know a b c d or none of the above right and then they would do you know which car did you own it this year and it's amazing i'm like i forgot that i had that car back in 2002 how did they know this and um so like you said that information's all out there and uh it's kind of scary well yeah it, it is and and usually they buy it from credit reporting agencies as they're called out of wallet questions um, you know, sometimes I'll say, what was the actual mortgage payment that you made on this house yeah. or your current mortgage payment or your current lease payment? And uh, a lot of people say, I don't remember. <laughs> what do you want from me? <laughs> and then you, you end up getting you, getting, you feel like you feel like you're the criminal here. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like, you know, with password managers and I, I'm a fan of password managers. Right is that uh, the only you only have to remember two things uh, where you put it if it's like usb form uh and and what its password is and i once had it where i had a password manager i could not remember the password and i went and you know they always say forgot password and then they were supposedly sending me hints but the hints never showed up so i couldn't give them an answer because i couldn't tell what the hint was uh, it's kind of one of those maddening loops. I actually got locked out of my iPhone once, and it was just one of these things. I've had the same kind of you know, code for years, and for whatever reason, I was getting one number off, 
And but the thing is, once you get like three times uh, wrong, then it locks you out for th- three minutes or whatever it is. And then if you get it wrong again, it locks you out for ten minutes, and 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 then the anxiety level goes up. And I'm like, oh my god, I, I got to get this time. And I was locked out for an hour. And, and, and I was actually driving through Phoenix that time and I had to pull over at a shopping mall in Northern Phoenix, um, and, and just sit there and just calm down <laughs> hour later. Cause like when you're locked out of your iPhone, um, you know, you don't exist anymore. <laughs> it, it feels like Terminator man against the machine. Exactly. Um, hey, I had that me, last last night I was, I was at a restaurant with my wife and I, I, she apparently had changed the case on her iPhone and it looked exactly like mine. So I'm trying to set the alarm for today and I set the alarm and then all of a sudden it goes to, um, you know, the, the digits you have to press again. So I'm pressing the digits, it's not working, press it again. It's not working. Now I'm getting into a panic and then I suddenly realized <laughs> my phone is in my pocket and she's looking at me like, if you lock me out of my phone, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I know that look. Yes. Yes. <laughs> giving it to myself sometimes as well. So um, let's jump tracks again here. Back to the podcast. Uh, yeah. What are your some some of your biggest lessons learned um, in terms of you know running a successful podcast? Well, one of them is that that as wonderful as you think your podcast is, and how you think that the entire world should be sending all sorts of of kudos your way, and you're sitting there going, uh, I don't have any ratings. Where, where did the ratings go? <laughs> so it's, um, it's a, it's a slow process. Even if you're gener- generating an enormous volume, uh, this, your sense of what kind of reaction that you're going to get from people is, is often very different from the, the, the reaction or lack thereof from your listeners, but yet you're generating at a lot of real listeners and, you know, you're tracking to see that, you know, people are coming back and listening, it's growing. Well, um, you, you let me cut in for a second because you must be doing something right. I'm just taking a look at your um, Apple Podcast reviews, and you have over 113 ratings with a nice 4.6 uh, kind of average. So you must be doing something right there, Adam. Well, yeah, no, no, no. We're excited by the way that it's building. And, you know, we've had some really nice comments, a couple of people that have, you know, been quite honest about how they feel, <laughs> which may not be, you know, you read and you go, Really? But um, it's like in that Jerry Maguire scene where she's where he says, like, I don't think we need to go brutal honest or we we don't need we don't we can be honest without the brutal part, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Or that's like in the movie Interstellar where he's talking to the computer and he goes, what's your honesty setting at? (laughs) Yeah, let's set it. Let's set it at 65. Lars. But um, no way. What I find about podcasting also is that it's it's very important to be as current as possible. So the whole concept of, you know, let's bank a lot of episodes, you really can't in order. Yeah. I mean, you can for the evergreen parts, but still for the, you know, the parts where you're, you're trying to make it relevant. It's uh, you really have to, you know, stay up on things. And, and the world that you and I both live in is uh, that things are changing like minute by minute sometimes. That's that's for sure. One of the one of the challenges that I have now, which I didn't have before when I first started uh, Secure Talk, is that I get guest requests. It used to be for me that the biggest challenge was finding qualified guests to come on the podcast. Yes, at, at, I would say in this, I don't know, last year and a half, two years, I get several requests a week. To the point, I, sometimes it's really hard because I want to I want to be as inclusive as possible, um, and cybersecurity really is a super broad broad space. Or you know, there are so many different topics that you can actually go really deep on. You know, I mean, we we've been talking primarily about like the consumer side, uh, but you know, there's when you get into enterprise, there's the, there's things like you know in, in intrusion detection systems, anomaly detection, um, you know, DLP. Uh, there's uh, there the compliance side, there's DevOps, there's just so many different areas, right? I mean, there's all these different subject matter experts, and I want to be as inclusive as inclusive inclusive as possible. But it's a challenge sometimes because you know, like you said, you want to be up to date, and if you have a guest on and you're not really up to date on their topic, it can be kind of challenging. I mean, how do you manage that? Well, we have a, a there are three of us that uh, uh, Bo, Travis, and I, and and we spend a lot of time. Uh, reading reports, uh, we have contacts in law enforcement agencies, and um, 
you know, a good friend of mine is a former chief of staff of the U.S. Secret Service. So if I ever have a, you know, or an issue where I don't understand it, I can call him and and he can get me up to speed. We also have worked with uh, white hat hackers and gray hat hackers, and they're they're great resources uh, mm-hmm. for these kinds of things. I have one friend who, every time I call him, I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "I'm going to." Brooklyn criminal court. I said, they got you. He said, no, I'm testifying, <laughs> dude. I'm working for the FBI. So, uh, uh, you know, we, we have these wonderful sources of income. It's not quite like Brian Krebs where he has, you know, Russian gangs reporting into him right. in an effort to, to torpedo other Russian gangs. But, um, you know, so we, we try to stay with that. But you did mention something, and, and I thought maybe we could briefly go through this. Unfortunately, I've got about seven minutes left, only because we ran up against a deadline, which, um, and I'm happy to re, you know, to, to to come back and talk more about this even today, depending upon your time. But is on the business side, right? Because the same three M's that we apply to the consumer side can be applied to the business side. And in a lot of ways, it, it's the same. Multi-factor authentication, uh, password protocols, uh, employee training is absolutely critical. You know, uh, Bruce Schneier, who's one of the lions in this in this world that you and I live in, you know, he made a great uh, comment among all his other great comments, which is if you think that throwing a lot of money at technology is the answer to security problems, that you don't understand the technology and you don't understand security. And it's really about how do you build a culture of privacy and security in an organization um, so that everyone from the mailroom to the boardroom and back again to the mailroom, or if you're working from home, uh, including members of your family, how do people from the living room to your office, uh, to the kitchen, understand that we're in this together, that you need to have a psychology that we all have a, a stake in the ownership of the privacy and security in our organization, because any mistake by any one person can ultimately bring down an entire company and impact potentially millions of consumers. So it's, it's, it's that education and philosophy. Uh, it's about segmenting data. It's about keeping data only as long as you need it. Uh, in order to protect your organization and anyone that does business with your organization. Uh, I could do a lot more on the first end, but then there's monitoring, which is you need to be monitoring your systems constantly, uh, everything from third-party penetration testing to internal monitoring as well, but understanding uh, with your CISO uh, and uh, your technology guys that uh, you're only as secure as you were 38 seconds ago. Because you could be great and you take a victory lap and two minutes later, somebody somewhere clicks on the wrong link and you're not monitoring your systems and you don't notice uh, data extraction anomalies over time. And all of a sudden you get the call that you never wanted to get, either from Brian Krebs or the (laughs) government or the bank uh, or the hacker. Um, So monitoring is absolutely uh, mandatory. And then the last is managing the damage. Uh, which means uh, you can't just say to your IT guys, well, can you fix it? And they go, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> that, that doesn't work. Uh, you've got people to notify. You've got call trees you have to follow. You've got protocols. If you operate in more than one state, uh, in this country, we have at the moment 54 jurisdictions with separate breach notification laws. There's no national breach notification law yet. Uh, You've got to work with outside communication people, inside communication people, the legal department, the HR department, the technology department. Uh, You know, this is a group effort, including getting ready for the possibility that something like this could happen where you red team things and then you train your people at your company as they drill sailors on a nuclear submarine so that once the call goes out, Houston, we got a problem is people respond almost based on muscle memory is that we, everyone knows what they have to do. And the way that a company responds to an incident involving a breach is a defined moment in the history of that company. And it can either be a bad experience or an extinction level event. Well, 
I think that, you know, those are two critical things you mentioned. One is security has to be part of everybody's culture as an individual, as a group, as a company, as an organization. It's everybody's responsibility. And I think that's a, a massive evolution because just a few years ago, it was assumed that somebody in IT would be taking care of security. And now we realize that um, the biggest threat vector is us individuals, human beings, um, and we all need to be kind of alert and aware. And it's everybody's responsibility, just like I think that in, in any organization or any company, the profitability, the bottom line should be everybody should have some kind of you know stake in that. The other thing that you basically said is if you do, you know, if you are breached, you, ha- you, know, you you've been hacked, don't call an audible and do some kind of ad hoc running around going like, oh, we got to do this. We got to do that. We gotta, no, you have to have a playbook in place. And yeah. the playbook, the playbook has to have every single step you know, and so like, like you said, I like the, the, the what you said is it, it should be almost like muscle memory where you just go through it. In fact, good, good organizations, they'll run kind of, you know, um, scenarios and, and and put their team through it. And, and, and you know, it, it takes time. But God, the, the ROI on that time in the case of an actual breach is, you know, unlimited. No, and, and, and uh, you've, absolutely. You can lose customers. You can lose faith with partners, business partners. You can have the ultimate regulators of the American economic system, class action lawsuit attorneys coming after you, along with regulators coming after you. Uh, it can take it can suck up all of your time dealing with that, or you can have a plan in place so you can continue to operate. But first, you have to know where did the problem happen? How did it happen? How fast can you fix the problem? And you know, we all like to say things like, well, you know, back up, upgrade and update that that's fine but the issue then is once you've done all of that how fast can you get your systems back up and running again right Uh, because you could have all the other good things in place but it takes you eight months to get back up and running you're gone and and that's why it's very important not only with that side of it but a company has to it's like the three things i always say Urgency, urgency, transparency, and empathy. Mm-hmm. And yes, phase <laughs> one is how well Equifax. Equifax was not a uh, a big believer in any any of any of those three. So. None of those three. <laughs> no, if if one was writing a textbook on how to screw up, they did it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I do, you know, it's easy to point fingers at other companies when they mess up, but come on, sometimes it's so blatant that they deserve all the bad press they get. I, I don't know if you heard about Cathay Pacific in, in Hong Kong, but yes. they were breached and had several million um, customer identities uh, were stolen. They sat on that information. They didn't report for almost a year. And interestingly, uh, the Hong Kong government was actually pursuing criminal charges against some of the, um, the their security related officers just for failing to report. And but you imagine that there's the criminal liability, but then the damage to brand, not just outside the company, but inside the company. If you're working for an organization and you realize that all the employment records have been hatched, you're ha- hacked, excuse me, hatched. <laughs> I mean, anyway, um, you know, you're not going to feel good if the if your, your company's keeping secret, keeping that secret from you or hidden from you. Well, well, look at what happened with Uber. Now they're they're pursuing the former head of security of Uber, uh, you know, uh, illegally. Um, and I think that the authorities are involved, too. Uh, because of the fact that it wasn't reported and it was try to, you know, they try to cover it up for a long period of time, uh, which they feel now that under new management, that would, that would never have happened. Yeah. Um, another, another lesson, lesson learned there. Hey, Adam, I know we're, we're running out of time here. Um, I, can I put you on the spot for a second? Yeah, sure. All right. Um, I'm, I've, I've read through your podcast description and, um, there's a reference to dad jokes. Yes. Can you, can you share one with us? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, anytime we talk about fishing, you know, we immediately go into issues, things about like scales and are we finished yet? Or it really depends on what the subject is. Each, each day there's a new opportunity to get involved in some kind of dad joke. Uh, so I, the problem is I don't remember any one of them offhand. That, but, that's all right. Cybersecurity is no laughing matter, but it can be funny sometimes. So that's okay. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the point is that you need to open up and talk about it. And sometimes you need to relax in the process of opening up 
and talking about it. Um, but also there are situations where you sit back at the, the 50,000 level and you go, how in heaven's name could anyone in the world have fallen for that? But yet all of us could totally fall for that, depending Absolutely. upon what else is going on in our lives. So you almost have to have a little bit of a laugh about it going, you know, did you really, I mean, really? Uh, and in, in, in some of the, in, in particular, the catfishing scams is how someone can go from, they just meet you to, uh, they want to have your child, or they want you to have their child in a day and a half. That doesn't happen I, to you all the time. Uh, well, well, I yeah, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to say that, but you know, I'm, I'm a married man. But hey, you know, it's 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 a thing where it is amazing the kinds of things that people throw at people, uh, you know, to the tune of, oh, hi, we're Microsoft. We notice there's a problem with your computer. Do you mind letting us in? Right. Or when you get a call from the bank and they say. And so, Mark, so this is your credit card number, right? Yep. And this is your uh, uh, expiration date. Yep. Hey, listen, just to do it, just to make sure you're you, could you flip it over and give us your security code? <laughs> and then, yep, yep. Sure, are, sure, Adam, here it is. <laughs> yep. You are a victim of, 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 of a problem here. And, and tell you what, we're going to help you with the credit reporting agencies. Just give us your social security number. Yeah. So, I've, I've had, I've had, you know, the IRS uh call me before quote unquote the irs and say you know there's 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 an issue with your return but before we can discuss it with you we need to verify some information yep and the smart ones they're not going to come right out and ask you for your social security number they're going to ask you to, you know confirm your name maybe your address uh, maybe your date of birth um then they're going to you know build a little rapport with you um and then can you get the last four of your social security number okay and then they're they'll go away and then they'll come back and sometimes i'll just play along because i you know i want to see wh where they're going to go with this right but um no, it's fun. So, um, hey, Adam, again, I, I know we're running short on time. I really appreciate you coming on here. Um, and I'm a big fan of What the Hack and wish you the greatest success in the remainder of 2022. Last uh, blurb here. Anything um, that you want to talk about in terms of future plans for What the Hack? Well, I, I, the, the future plan really is that we're going to go to more days a week. It's just a question of of when. I can hear already the groans from Bo and, and, and uh <laughs> Uh, Travis, uh, but uh, because I, you know, I think it's that big. It's just a question of uh, having a reservoir of guests. Yes. Uh, but anytime you have an overflow of guests, send a few our way. We'll see I, what we I can will do. definitely do that. Um, I because I hate saying no to people. Again, I want to I want to be as open to everybody as possible. But I have other things that I got to be doing in my life as well. So, um, hey, Adam, I, thanks again for coming on, and um, you know, hope to uh, cross paths with you someday soon. Fantastic, and good luck with the tournament. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.